Welcome to Law for Community Workers On The Go, a podcast for community and health workers and for anyone who supports people in their community. So what we, we're planning to do today is just talk about No More, about the National Redress Scheme and what we're seeing as some of the issues that are emerging from the National Redress Scheme to help community workers, mental health workers, and people who are out working with people who are survivors of institutional child sexual abuse, how best to um, engage with them and to talk through options that might be available to them. Before we start, a warning. We are discussing child sexual abuse today, so please look after yourself and feel free to pause or stop the podcast. There are links to support organisations in the podcast notes. My name is Natalie. I'm from the Community Legal Education Team at Legal Aid New South Wales. In today's episode, I'll be talking to Prue, Maura and Sophia from No More about the National Redress Scheme for people who have experienced institutional child sexual abuse. The scheme has been running for two years now, so this is an update. If you haven't already, please listen to our podcasts with Prue about the National Redress Scheme from 2019. Thanks for listening and I'll hand over to Prue. Thanks Natalie and thanks for the opportunity to talk to the people who are listening to the podcast. Um, and I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the different lands on which we're meeting today and I'm speaking today and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and also to acknowledge and pay my respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Prue, what will we be covering in today's podcast? Um, I want to talk about No More, the National Redress Scheme and some of the emerging issues. The two-year review, which is really important for people on the ground to think to to participate in and to tell us what's actually going on or tell the government what's going on. So, Prue, can you please tell us what is No More? So, No More was a legal service um, buddied up with a Royal Commission and that's the first time in Australian legal history that's happened. It's subsequently happened with the um, Royal Commission into Disability and also the Don Dale Royal Commission where having an independent legal body which is free which often has multidisciplinary arms to it and where there's no means test, is making that engagement with the Royal Commission that much easier. So no more at the end of the Royal Commission, as I said, was funded to proceed with helping people who have various compensation options as a result of having been abused within an institution. We have offices in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne and Perth. Importantly, it's a multidisciplinary team. So you have lawyers, social workers, counsellors, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers and financial counsellors. The Royal Commission estimated there were 60,000 people who'd been sexually abused across Australia within an institutional context. We suspect that that number might be higher. But really importantly for everyone to realise is that if they go down the redress pathway and accept that offer from the redress scheme, They are giving up really important legal rights. I can't emphasise enough how important it is to get legal advice before you sign off on the redress offer. No more lawyers can give that advice for free. Um, We talk through the options and we can make referrals to lawyers who might, who are one, who are experienced, who might be able to help you. We can also prepare and submit complex redress applications 
and we can link you into redress support services who can assist with the not so complex redress applications. Neither No More nor the support services charge for any of that work. No More works as a trauma-informed practice and that means for people who are not familiar with that that we work within principles of safety, respect, trustworthiness, collaboration and choice. That is not necessarily the way that most lawyers work uh, and it's taken a lot of training for, for our lawyers to get to the point that they're comfortable working within those principles. So being trauma-informed means that we are ready, willing and able to work with survivors in a way that's not re-traumatising for the person and that recognises that trauma impacts can get in the way of survivors receiving an adequate or even just service. It is really important for the survivors that they know that we believe them. Above all else, that is just incredibly important. More importantly, though, we manage expectations. For our clients, expectations have constantly been trashed. They've been led down to believe that led down paths to believe that they will receive the, everything, um, that life will be so much better for them, and so often those expectations are not met. Yeah, that's really important. Sophia will now talk about the pre-application stage. So, who is eligible to apply? Thanks, Prue. Um, so, prior to assisting a client to make an application to the National Redress Scheme. It's really important that we check that the client is actually eligible for redress. So as Prue has um, outlined, we really need to be very careful to manage our clients' expectations from the outset. Um, so to be eligible, the client needs to have experienced child sexual abuse in an institutional context when they were under 18. So I'll give you a brief overview of what um, the eligibility criteria are. Now, many people have experienced terrible physical and emotional abuse in institutions, but there has to have been sexual abuse to be eligible for the National Redress Scheme. Um, the non-sexual abuse is certainly relevant, um, but there needs to have been sexual abuse to meet that initial eligibility criteria. Um, the person must have experienced sexual abuse when they're a child, so that obviously means when they were um, under 18. The abuse needs to have happened in an institutional context. Um, and so what we need to show is that an institution was responsible for bringing the person into contact with their abuser. Now, sometimes that's very obvious. Um, for example, someone was abused by a teacher at a school uh, or a scout leader in a scouts club. Where it becomes trickier is in, for example, cases where um, the abuse occurred by a family member. Um, this type of abuse would generally not be covered. Um, however, there are many situations where um, there is actually some form of institutional involvement or oversight at the time that the abuse occurred within the family. So um, it's not necessarily clear cut and no more is um, certainly available to advise on eligibility issues um, as they come up. So um, encourage people to get in touch with us. The abuse needs to have um, occurred before the 1st of July 2018, which is, um, as Prue said, the date that the scheme started. The person needs to have been born before the 30th of June 2010, 
now that's because the scheme closes in June 2028. And for a person to accept an offer of redress, they have to be 18 years old. So if we work backwards from there, that means that they must have been born before the 30th of June 2010. The person must be an Australian citizen or permanent resident at the time when they apply to the National Redress Scheme. Now, this um, creates uh, a lot of difficulty for someone, for example, who has been uh, in immigration detention when the sexual abuse occurred. Um, and for former child migrants. Uh, at NOMOR, we've been, um, well, we have a, a number of former child migrant clients um, who have returned, for example, to the UK. Um, they've either not taken out Australian citizenship or they may have been permanent residents, um, but they've given that up when they have returned to the UK. And so, unfortunately, um, there is a cohort of former child migrants who are not eligible for the National Redress Scheme. Uh, the person can't have already received a court-ordered payment. Now, this is different to a situation where um, they may have started a court process but ended up negotiating an out-of-court settlement uh, with the institution and there's no order made by a judge. So most people, uh, in most cases, um, people who have received a prior payment um, have done so through out-of-court negotiations rather than by... Um, a court-ordered um, payment. Until recently, there haven't been many um, co actual court-ordered payments, um, but we are seeing more come through at the moment, and there's certainly been um, a few that have occurred, um, particularly in, in Western Australia. One of the other really important initial factors uh, that we assess is whether the client falls into a priority category uh, based on their age or poor health. So Prue mentioned this earlier. Um, priority clients are people with life-limiting illnesses. So we're looking out for things like a life expectancy of um, 12 months or less, a stage four cancer diagnosis, organ failure, these types of things. Um, Priority clients are also people who are elderly, and elderly means um, born before 1944 for non-Indigenous people or born before 1964 for Indigenous people. And the aim is that we submit their redress application as quickly as possible while the client is still alive. Um, if the application is submitted while the person is alive, then the redress decision can still be made after they pass away. Um, and a family member or friend can't apply for redress on someone's behalf after the person has died. So it's really important that we lodge these applications as quickly as possible. Um, so I wanted to give you a, a short example of how we work with clients who fall into this priority uh, category at No More. Now, my example is a client, he's an Aboriginal man born in 1946. Um, so he's 74 years old and then falls into that priority client category based on his age. Um, thankfully, aside from his age, he's in relatively good health. He experienced uh, sexual abuse as a child in, a New, South, in New South Wales um, the, and a government department in New South Wales was responsible for his care at the time. Um, he contacted No More early this year to discuss his various legal options. Um, no More's intake officers who answer the phones picked up on his age priority and arranged for our lawyer to provide him with urgent legal advice about his options. Um, he also 
received um, support from our Aboriginal engagement team. After receiving his initial legal advice, uh, the man elected to make an application to the National Redress Scheme. Based on his age, he wanted a quicker and less involved process than some of the alternatives. We worked quite intensively with the man and submitted his application to the National Redress Scheme in April this year. We include a cover letter uh, for priority clients uh, with the application requesting that it's processed um, urgently based on um, our client's advanced age. The man also appointed no more as his assistance nominee for the redress application, which me meant that um, no more could liaise with the redress scheme to confirm the priority status of the application um, and to make sure that um, everything was going to be processed uh, as quickly as possible on uh, the redress scheme's end. So after submitting his uh, redress application, we helped the man to access um, some inexpensive options to obtain a will and to prepare a power of attorney, um, which is something that we'll discuss a bit more later on. Uh, the redress scheme acknowledged our client's age priority and acted really quickly processing the man's application within three months, which is definitely one of the quickest examples um, that I'm aware of. The man was offered $95,000 counselling and a direct personal response from the institution, uh, which he has just recently accepted. Now, the man uh, was really happy uh, to have some financial security at this stage of his life and he's planning on spending some of the money travelling back to New South Wales uh, to reconnect with his country and family. Now, I'll admit that not all of our experience in working with um, this ageing cohort is so uplifting, um, but I thought this was a good example of the way in which we um, at No More and the Redress Scheme can respond um, to the needs of this priority group according to their age and health. As we've talked a bit about, um, many survivors are elderly um, and may pass away before a decision is made about their application, unfortunately. As long as the application has been lodged before they die, it can still be processed. Um, if the redress scheme decides to make a redress payment, mm -hmm. uh, then they'll look at who the survivor wanted the payment to go to. So one of the things that we will look at, um, sorry, that they will look at is the person's will, if they have one, um, and what it says about where, uh, who they want their estate to go to. So it's a really good idea to check um, with your client um, about whether they have a will and if so, whether it's up to date. Um, if not, encourage them to make one. Uh, and there are some services that will do wills for little to no cost in each state or territory. So um, I said at the beginning we were looking at emerging issues. So the next group of emerging issues are around the application itself. Um, it's The National Redress Scheme can only process applications where the institution responsible for the abuse has joined the scheme. Most of the institutions, so the major faith-based institutions, all state and territory and Commonwealth government institutions have joined, but there are four notable exceptions, um, and I'll deal with them in a minute. Um, the scheme, the legislation had provided that the institutions had two years until the 30th of June 2020 to join the scheme. The closer we got to the 30th of June 2020, um, we realised that a lot of institutions hadn't even indicated where they were going to join. So what's happened was the legislation was changed 
so that institutions had until the 30th of June to make their intention known, but they have until the 31st of December to join the scheme. And that's been really important because both the Commonwealth and state governments are indicating for those institutions that don't join the National Redress Scheme, there will be financial implications so that they will find access to government funding impossible and there could well be tax impl implications both on a Commonwealth and state government um, level. There will still be some institutions that come out of the woodwork that we've not heard about before that the Royal Commission has not heard about um, and that are not on anyone's radar right now. Where that is the case, they will be given, they'll be notified and they'll be given six months to join the scheme and that will continue for the life of the scheme. There are four main institutions which haven't joined and the ones that so the, they're Fairbridge, Lakes Entrance, Pony Club, Jehovah's Witnesses and Kenja Communications. The two that are causing us greatest concern are Fairbridge and Jehovah's Witnesses. Fairbridge was taken over by the Prince's Trust in the UK probably 10 years ago um, and where there, there is actually really strong lobbying going on for the Prince's Trust to take on the responsibility of paying redress for Fairbridge survivors. We're pretty sure that will actually happen um, given the damage to the brand if it doesn't. Jehovah's Witnesses though are a completely different ballgame. They thumb their nose at the Royal Commission, they are thumbing their nose at private lawyers who are trying to sue them and they have totally said the National Redress Scheme, you can forget about it, we're not joining. This is really, really hard for survivors of the abuse in that sect. We understand there are hundreds of them and they are suffering hugely because there is absolutely no option for them with such a, uh, a strongly recalcitrant institution. So two questions. One, what can people do if they were abused in one of those institutions who haven't joined the scheme? And two, how do we find out who has joined the scheme? So when you have a client who, um, or someone that you're working with who has named an institution that's not yet joined the scheme. And the way you can find that is to go onto the National Redress Scheme website, um, click on institutions and to, and you can find the status of whether or not they've joined or not. If they've named one institution and that institution has not joined, the application will be put on hold. Um, now it could be put on hold for the life, the remaining life of the scheme. Um, and it's a decision you make as to just whether you leave it there or take it off and try and, and bring civil proceedings. If you've named multiple institutions, so two or more institutions in the application, and one application is, so we'll go with two because it's easier. So one application has joined and the other hasn't. You can decide to wait until that second institution has joined, or you can decide to what they're saying, calling a severing the um, other there's institution that hasn't joined and just proceed with the one application and that one institution. The problem is you will only get 50% of the payment if there's been joint and equal responsibility. Unfortunately, if and when that second institution does join the scheme, you cannot come back and lodge a second application naming that institution. The scheme is very clear that it's one application per person. So if they, they don't join, 
um, and they subsequently do, that there's nothing you can do except take them on civilly, which you may not want to do. Thanks, Prue. The next emerging issue we'll be hearing about is around prior payments. For a lot of our clients, they have received a prior payment from the institution. The issue becomes whether it's a relevant prior payment. There's particular um, concern and anxiety among uh, uh, many of our Aboriginal clients who've received uh, stolen generations reparations payments, either through South Australia, New South Wales, and likely through the Victorian scheme as well, as to whether or not that payment is going to be deducted from any redress payment they receive. The answer is no, where that payment was made because of the loss of identity, loss of culture, removal from family, and for other broad government policies or actions. So in New South Wales, there was a $75,000 excrusha payment. That will not be seen as a relevant prior payment and will not be deducted. Where it becomes muddy is there was at the same time running a class action for stolen generations where quite large amounts of money were received and the deeds have indicated that they, the payments were not only for government policy and removal from family but also covered off on abuse, both physical and sexual. These payments are being regarded as relevant prior payments and are being deducted. Unfortunately, some of them don't even mention sexual abuse, but they are being deducted completely. So that's causing us some concern and we're making submissions that only part of that, that um, prior payment should be deducted. The takeout from all of this is that the redress scheme is only going to look at the net payment the person received. So, for example, if you received 150000 as a result of the class action and you pay $30,000 in legal costs, you would only take off as a relevant prior payment 120. So you would take off the 150, the legal costs that you'd paid. So again, it's really important to get information from your clients as to what it is they received and what legal costs did they pay to get that amount of money. I think people are interested in whether victim support or victim's compensation payments are included as past payments because a lot yes. of clients may have already received payments from a state. Yeah. Um, look, the important thing there is we really do need to work out what they receive the victim's compensation payment for. Many of our clients have received victim's compensation payments for familial abuse and that's not a prior payment. If they've received victim's compensation for abuse by the perpetrator within that institution, it will be a relevant prior payment. It will be indexed. So if they received it in 1996, it will be indexed at 1.9% per annum, and then it will be deducted from the, the uh, amount of the redress. So it's really important that we get detailed instructions and probably call for the victim's compensation file to see exactly what the payment was for. The next part of the application process that we're seeing as an emerging issue is people in currently in prison or in custody who are wanting to apply for redress. So custody means obviously a prison, a youth training centre, a community correction centre or on remand. They can apply for redress and it will be allowed to proceed if there are exceptional circumstances such as ill health 
or if the client will be in custody at the completion of the the scheme when they can take on an, um, an application, which is the 30th of June, 2027. So if they're going to be in prison on that date, they can lodge an application now. We've had many clients let us know that they have lodged their application while they've been in prison, but have been told there's no exceptional circumstances. The really important message here is that that application will just sit until that person is released from prison. Then they must phone the redress scheme and reactivate their application. So the important message here is that their application is not regarded as, as having failed and they can't put on a new application. All it is is their application is on hold waiting for them to come out of prison. Just to give you a bit of background information as to why um, prisoners were being treated differently, there was a real concern that um, the application form asks a lot of personal information about your abuse. Prisoners are generally locked down at four o'clock in the afternoon with very little support available to them and there, there was rightfully real concern about how they would manage the trauma once they were locked down in a room or a cell by themselves. The other thing causing concern was were it to get out into their, their prison community that they were about to receive $150,000 from the redress scheme, it would really leave them quite vulnerable to abuse um, and we wanted to avoid that at all costs. The next group of clients who are falling in this um, custody or serious criminal convictions are clients who've received one sentence of five or years or more. So it's not a cumulative sentence. So we've had many clients who've been in and out of prison since they were 15 and they're now 45, but none of their sentences exceeded five years. So it's any single sentence that's exceeded five years. You will need to complete a serious criminal convictions form. I would strongly recommend that you do that, complete that form at the same time as you complete the application itself. So you're only having one sitting of going through traumatic material with your client. Um, and also it, it it is a gateway. So if the serious criminal convictions form um, is lodged and not accepted, then unfortunately that is the end for your client. Um, if it is accepted, it's fine because you've already done the application, it's in the scheme and it will continue to progress. Who makes the decision about whether or not you can proceed? Well, it's a two-tier process. The attorneys general um, in the state where the client was abused and in the state where they've been incarcerated will have their say. And then the next level is the scheme operator, who's the departmental secretary. Um, they will then also decide whether or not by granting this particular person um, the, the gateway into the scheme, whether that will bring the scheme into disrepute or lessen the public confidence in the scheme. We have it anecdotally that um, most of the prison, people who've got, um, obviously they're not necessarily in prison now, most of the people who've received that five-year-plus sentence have been allowed to proceed and lodge their application for redress. The people that they're looking to exclude are people who've, re and most of them are unfortunately still in prison, um, who have really... Um, tortured and abused children in, in absolutely horrific, horrific ways. And the decision to not allow them into the scheme is based entirely on the public backlash that would arise if that were known. 
All right, so that finishes the, the application emerging issues. And I want to go on now to talk about the post-application issues that we're seeing. So the offer when it comes, and it can be anything from 9 to 12 months after you've lodged your application, the offer comprises three components, a monetary payment, access to counselling, and the direct personal response. Once the offer is received, the applicant has six months from the date of that offer to decide whether to accept, reject, or request a review. Look, we I, I don't know how to emphasise this strongly enough, but the offer lasts for six months. If you've lost your client and the client does nothing in that six-month period and it lapses, the client cannot come back and say on the seventh month, I'm here, um, I've been away and I'm now back and I'm ready to proceed. That offer is taken to have been rejected and will be withdrawn and the client cannot make another offer. So if you find that you're working with someone who's homeless, who's struggling with this and cannot make a decision within six months, please um, ask them, uh, if you're not the assistance nominee, to phone the redress scheme and just just automatically ask for an extension, which will give you another six months. So you've got the 12 months. Ideally, if you've been working with someone who's homeless and you know it's going to be really difficult to contact with them, when you're lodging the application, also ask to be the assistance nominee. That then gives you the right and the power to contact the scheme and say, we would like an extension of six months, please. Before you accept that offer, I'll just go back to what I said earlier. You are going to be giving up important legal rights. It's so important that you get um, legal advice as to whether or not to accept the offer. Um, the example I give is that um, Paramount Girls Home, if someone, a survivor from that, that institution received $30,000 with no prior payments, so that's all they received, um, that is so out of line with the amounts of money that are being is being received by uh, our clients who've gone through Paramatic Girls Home. So you'd really want to stop and get legal advice as to why that's happened and whether or not the client would be better off going to get um, civil litigation advice and not accepting the offer. Now, Prue, will you explain the implications if someone does get a payment through the National Redress Scheme? The next important part of of this process is the financial implications of the National Redress Scheme payments. There are important protections within the legislation. So debts, Commonwealth debts and state government debts cannot be automatically taken out of the redress payment, so they are protected. Certainly the client has well within their rights if they've got accumulated debts to use the money to pay off those debts but the Commonwealth and state governments cannot of their own volition come in and take that money. We've also been able to negotiate with the banks, so where we've got credit card debt, personal loan debts or um, uh, overdrafts, that the banks will not come and satisfy those debts out of the redress money when it comes into the person's account. We have not been as successful in negotiating with other credit um, providers and have worryingly seen uh, letters from debt recovery organisations, um, letters going to clients asking them if they're anticipating receiving a national redress screen payment. So that really does send shivers down everyone's spine. If you're working with someone in the early stages of a redress application and they indicate to you that they have considerable debt, please refer them straight away to a financial counsellor 
because our clients have every reason to have these debts waived because of, of their hardship, um, the best way to receive a National Redress Scheme payment is not to have any debt. Um, so that if you can work, you've got nine to 12 months to work with a financial counsellor to get have those debts waived, that's really a fantastic outcome. In relation to banks, we're, we're strongly urging our clients to have to open a second fee-free account for this money to go in. One, it, it helps in terms of bankruptcy and garnishee proceedings because we can quite clearly see um, both of which are, are protected. So um, bankruptcy proceedings can't touch a redress payment nor can a garnishee order. So if you can put it into a separate account, that's ideal. But probably more importantly, we are seeing a lot of elder abuse going on. And if it's in a separate account, then that does help us protect that money for the client. Prue, what's the situation with Centrelink? Will a redress payment affect someone's Centrelink eligibility or eligibility for public housing? Um, Centrelink, you will need to let Centrelink know that you've received a redress payment. You've got 14 days and the key words are as uh, with the Centrelink people that it's an exempt lump sum. So that's the wording that you use when you're taking your client or telling your client to notify Centrelink. In relation to the deeming, I think everyone is probably aware that um, if the money sits in the account, regardless of what the interest rate is that you're receiving, Centrelink will deem it, it um, receives a higher rate. That is unlikely to impact your Centrelink or your client's Centrelink payment, but it may so again, check with a financial counsellor. Public housing, we have um, been quite proactive and advocating across Australia with all the state and territory government Department of Housing um, departments to make sure that the redress payment would not be an asset for eligibility for public housing. So we've been successful with that. We have not had the same success with the Commonwealth in terms of residential aged care. So they are we're beginning advocacy in relationship to that now. Um, the National Debt um, Helpline, I'm sure everyone has that number, 1-800-007-007. Please phone them. Um, and No More also has financial counsellors who are able to give um, financial inf information to support services. So please don't hesitate to call them. It's really great to hear about the advocacy work of No More as well. It sounds like you've been really successful in a lot of areas. Yeah, hopefully. All, All right, I'll hand over to Maura. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Natalie. So the National Redress Scheme has been going for two years and there's a second anniversary review. So Maura, do you want to tell us what that is and how people can have their say? Yep, sure. Thanks, Natalie. So um, as you mentioned, since it has been two years since the start of the scheme. We're now at a stage where the Department of Social Services is conducting an independent two-year review of the scheme. So um, the review is led by an independent reviewer and her name is Ms. Robin Crook. Um, essentially, the review or feedback um, about the scheme is open to really anyone who has engaged with the scheme or its processes in some way. So, that includes, it's quite inclusive of all survivors, um, whether they've already applied, are considering applying, um, or yeah, are in the process of applying. Um, so they can make a submission to the review and this can be done um, either in a written format or verbally, so over the phone, 
um, and also inclusive of support workers. So anyone who um, may have supported a survivor to apply to the scheme or consider applying to the scheme can also um, submit feedback about the scheme itself. So you can also, from our understanding, participate in a feedback study. Um, so that should become available via the scheme's website. Um, and if you're making a written verbal or a verbal submission or participating in the feedback study, all of these options will end at the end of September of this year, so on the 30th of September. Just jumping in with an update that it's likely now that the survey will become available in late September 2020 and will be open for four weeks. This doesn't change the dates for the written or verbal submissions at this stage. So if you have clients who would like to contribute, they do need to get in quickly. The website, the National Redress Schemes website has resources about the review and the information about it, but um, NOMOR has also published resources. So we have a submission guide which is available for people to access, um, which provides information about how to make a submission to this review, and that is available on our website. So Maura, if someone's listening to this podcast after the 30th September 2020, yeah. they won't be able to get involved and make a submission, but the feedback or the results I suppose might be available at some stage for yeah hopefully um yeah so it is quite a quick turnaround at this point since we're talking now and it's August oh sorry not even August September already hopefully there will be some feedback that will be available for people to um review or engage with if they're considering applying to the scheme um I'm just going to move on to talk about how uh, no more can support workers who have clients applying to the National Redress Scheme. So there are a number of ways that you can engage with no more. Um, our lawyers can provide your clients with legal advice around their legal options if they have experienced child sexual abuse, um, including making a National Redress Scheme application. So you can refer your clients to know more to receive this legal advice um, around their range of options. And also we're able to provide support and assistance to non-legal and community legal services, so other support workers who may be supporting survivors in exploring their legal options. Um, we have a dedicated support services team, which is led by Prue Gregory. And um, yeah, we're very happy for people to contact us via our 1-800-FREE line. So that's our free advice line. It's 1-800-605-762. And you can just let us know that you're calling from a support service and you'll be connected to our Redress Support Services team um, and they can assist you with providing this advice. Thanks. And people can find links to the websites, to No More's website, the National Redress Scheme in the show notes below. So, Prue, I might just ask, do you have some, I guess, top tips or final things to take away, final messages for community workers around the National Redress Scheme? Yeah, look, probably the first thing is to look after yourself. Um, this this work is, is really hard of, of the 20 plus years I've been doing this work. It's, it's not so much the clients are hard. Um, some of them are. There's, there's no taking away from that. Some of them are. Um, the majority are, are the most gracious people I've ever met. I, it's the content which does absolutely unsettle you and it doesn't matter how many how many boundaries you put in place. The whole concept of a child being abused is just totally horrible and, and, and something that 
it is hard to hear and, and then you're sitting opposite that person who's, who was the abused person. So first takeout is please look after yourself. Um, the, the second is while we talk about, um, and, and it's very important that people will be giving up legal rights to go down the redress pathway, for many of our clients, um, resilience is has been sorely tested. And, and to put them through the civil litigation process, which could be another two to three years of having to relive their past, uh, is just a step too far. Um, and a re the redress scheme is, the bulk of our clients are saying it's not the money, it's just someone acknowledging that, that this happened to them. And, and while they will never be able to move beyond or put a line in the sand because this is what happened to them is part of them. It, it, it's part of their history. Um, the sooner we accept that and, and, and stop trying to say, well, it is time to move on, um, the easier it is for them to say, look, it is part of who I am. I just need your support to help me reduce that from being 70% of my life to being 10%. And so that we can help them to just look around them and be able to move, um, not so much move beyond, but to see it in perspective and, and to get whatever closure they can get from this horrific abuse that they experience. But take art is look after yourself. That's a great place to end, Prue. Thank you so much to all of you for joining us today. It's been really interesting and I think really important. Thank, Thank you. you. That's Thanks, great. Natalie. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Please, please share and rate this episode. It helps other people to find this podcast. Until next time, thanks so much from all of us here in the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.